Well, friends, I don't know about you, but I'm a little surprised that we just celebrated five people go public with their faith and nobody clapped. So can we just give the Lord a hand over? So just in the last 60 days, we've celebrated 19 people going public with their faith in Jesus Christ. And friends, I don't know about you, but that never gets old to me. Uh, It's one of the things that as a pastor and One of the things that we've seen over the last decade is uh, almost 500 people go public with their faith in Christ. And that's that's what really reminds us to keep doing the work that we're doing in Van Zandt County. And so uh, we celebrate that in everything we do. And so just remind yourself that, um, hey, even as we gather, like this is not a place where we're meant to sit and be stuffy. This is a place where uh, we can celebrate, we can clap, we can raise our hands um, because it's not about us, but it's about our Savior. And friends, the day we stop doing that, this day we need to close these doors. Uh, because the reality is, is that we are not here for simply to sit in seats and to externally uh, be a measure of something um, for ourselves. This is an opportunity for us to make much of our king. And so I pray that we would do that more and more. But when we watch things like that, like we ought to celebrate that. Um, and we ought to do that over and over and over again. Amen. Um, also, I don't know about you, but um, man, just our team uh, between Brian, Parker, and Jose, and all those guys that do videos, can we just give them a hand? Like, that's killer stuff. And so uh, that's, that's just awesome to see. And, and it's incredible how they can capture moments. And even if you weren't there, you feel like you were in the middle of it. And so that's just not only a sheer blessing from God, but it's just them using their gifts to bless our body. And we're so thankful for those guys and the ways that they countly, uh, count, uh, countlessly uh, do that, not only for our own body, but for many people in our community. Um, and so they blessed uh, Wills Point ISD recently as well. And so we're so thankful for their gifts and um, yeah, friends, if you got your Bibles, we're going to hop in. And so uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 2. Uh, if you are new with us, uh, Romans is in the New Testament. It's actually the sixth book in your New Testament. And so the New Testament um, is different than the Old Testament. The Old Testament is 39 books, the beginning of your Bible, that tell you about the nation of Israel. Uh, once you get to the end of the Old Testament, you have usually a, a kind of a, a blank page or just a page that says New Testament. And then when you get to New Testament, that's 27 books. And the 27 books are telling you about not just the nation of Israel, but the man that comes from that nation. His name is Jesus. He's the Messiah. And uh, when you get to the New Testament, we see the life and the ministry of Jesus, his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross. And then after uh, that really um, gospel narrative, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get to Acts, which is the early church and how it all started. And then you get to Romans. And Romans is a letter from Paul, uh, the apostle who in Acts chapter 9 was converted. His name was formerly Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee. Um, He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, He was a zealot for God, but he persecuted anybody that trusted in this guy named Jesus. Uh, But God changed his life on the road to Damascus. And ever since, Paul made it his ministry to reach Um, many different people, but namely the Gentiles, people that the Jews looked down on. And in Rome, uh, that was a a powerful city, had Jews and Gentiles alike. But he writes to this city and he just says, hey, listen, um, I want you to know that I long to be with you, but because God's prevented me from being there, he goes, I want you to know who the most powerful uh, person there is. And he goes, and namely that is God and through his son, Jesus. And he says, I am not ashamed to tell you about that. Uh, even though you might wonder uh, if I want to be there. He goes, I am, I'm not scared of Rome. I'm not scared of its power. I'm not scared of its emperors. Um, I, am, I am 
an ambassador for Christ. And so I am giving my life. I'm making an appeal to you. I want to be there, but because I can't be, he goes, one day I hopefully will see you. We know that Paul will eventually get to Rome in chains. Uh, he'll be there as a prisoner for a, a handful of years before his death. But what Paul is, is an ambassador for the cause of Christ. As he writes this letter to Rome, though, in chapter 1, he even talks about the Gentile, the people living in that city. And he goes, hey, you guys are rebellious. And he goes, and God's going to give you over to your rebellion. And then in chapter 2, he starts talking to the Jew. Um, not just the Gentile that the Jew looks down on, but he tells the Jew, he goes, you need to be careful also how you look down on this rebellious person, because just as you would see them as rebellious, you need to know that God will judge you with no partiality. He goes, if you judge, you need to know that it's going to come back to you in the, the level in which you judge. So if you um, point out the, the, the speck in their eye, you need to know there was a plank in your own. And so last week, Cody walked us through a message on what it looks like to have the judgment of God coming upon the, the Jew, uh, simply because they were self-righteous and um, they were indignant upon some of the things they had. But then Paul is going to outline, he's going to make a case um, today about that Jew. Uh, and he's going to do that in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17 through 29. And really, I think the word really that you could have um, is that it was just the idea of conviction. It was very convicting to not only study this, but even to teach this uh, simply because there is a lot of hypocrisy that Paul is going to point out to the, to the Jew. He goes, there's a lot of things that you guys are not seeing clearly. And I pray that as we read about the Jew, that God would illuminate our own hearts and even mine as I teach this, that we would see clearly. And so let's pray and let's ask God to help us with that. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to study your word. I pray you would help us to see it clearly. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand a text that might be difficult through uh, your first or second glance, but I pray that as we walk through it, that you would give us wisdom and understanding and that you would illuminate and open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see you and behold your glory and even be convicted in areas where there's hypocrisy in our own life. Lord, I pray you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a pastor uh, several years ago uh, who was uh, going to be treated by a person in their church to a large trip. They worked out all the details and uh, this congregant said to his pastor and his friend, hey, I want to take your family to Disney World and I want, I want to take you and we're going to go uh, for five nights, six days. We're going to enjoy all the parks, all the amenities. And he goes, and we're going to pay for it all. He goes, my family, my wife, we've been blessed and we want to treat you to something that as a pastor, you likely are not going to be able to do on your own. And so we would love to take you and bless you in, in that way. And so he goes, you just need to know that uh, your flights are covered, your tickets are covered, your hotels are covered, your food is covered, your souvenirs are covered. Everything that you desire is covered. And he goes, but I'm going to make it very clear to you, and I'm going to explicitly spell it out to you in a way that, that makes it really clear. And this is, he said this, you need to listen. And he says, lean in with me. And he says this, if you pay for one thing, you will pay for everything. So he says, if you reach into your wallet one time, even for a Coke, he said, you'll pay for the whole trip. And he goes, am I explicitly clear on this? And he goes, I got it. So the, the pastor didn't even take his wallet with him, right? Um, because he didn't want to be tempted in that way. But he was saying, listen, I'm spelling it out for you. He goes, you will deny me a blessing to do what I'm asking of you 
if you pull out your wallet, if you take it along with you, if you're tempted, and he goes, and I get it, you're going to be tempted along the way because you think this is just too good to be true. And in some ways, you're going to feel like almost that you're obligated to do what I want you to do on this trip, and you're obligated to say no to your kids to a souvenir, or you're not going to have that drink at the refreshment station, or you're not going to eat that Disney ice cream cone. And the reason why is because you feel like it's too big of a burden for me. Because you need to understand that if you deny me of the blessing and you go into your wallet, he goes, you pay for it all. And that was a lesson to this pastor. And I think it's a lesson to us today because I think that's how we oftentimes think about our relationship with God. That somehow like God is giving us this salvation that's a free gift. We think, you know what? In order to appease him, in order to, to take advantage of this, we have to keep diving into our own wallet. There's something else we must do. Listen, I think most of us in, in the, the local church really struggle with the idea of being double-minded, um, having duplicity. Uh, but here's what's interesting is um, we can't be. Have you ever thought about um, salvation? Maybe somebody's asked you a question like this. We would call it a diagnostic question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? Now think about that for yourself. On a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? Now, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but as you're rolling that through your head, if you might be saying, you know what, I, I'm, I would say I'm a 3. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I'm a 6. Or maybe you would say I'm an 8. Or maybe you would say, no, I, I for sure know, and I'm a 10. But the question is, is what makes you a 3, a 6, an 8, or a 10? What makes you what you are? And then as we spell that out, oftentimes we'll ask the question, well, if you were to enter into heaven today and God were to say, hey, why should I let you in? What would you say? And then people will respond this way. Well, I'm an eight and not a 10 because I still have more to do. Like there's still areas in my life that I need to grow or there's some growth that needs to happen. Maybe I need to read my Bible more. Maybe I need to cut out a few bad habits in my life. And we think about it in that way. There's others who would say, well, no, I'm a 10. And then you go, okay, but why would you ask God to let you in? What would you say? And you would say, well, because I was baptized when I was young. Or because I've taken communion. Or I went through confirmation classes. And we have a variety of different things. Or, or maybe I would say, hey, tell me a little bit about your faith. And you would say, well, I was baptized when I was 10. Or maybe your response is, well, you know what? I've always loved God. And my uncle was a pastor. Or, hey, I've, I've always been in the church and my dad was a deacon. Do you see how oftentimes, like when you start talking about salvific things, that oftentimes the thing that we make about salvation really has a whole lot to do with what's in our own wallet? Like it's around our confirmation or about our baptism or about our communion experiences. But do you know, here's what Paul is going to help the Roman and, and, and particularly the Gentile and the Jew understand. Is that when it comes to merit in Christ, it has absolutely nothing to do with your communion. It has nothing to do with your baptism. has nothing to do with your works. has nothing to do with your church membership. has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Now, what's interesting, though, is that we live in circles that even people in this room probably wrestle and struggle a little bit. But how do I know that if I were to die today, that I would be with the Lord forever. How do I know that I truly am saved? That's the church word for justified. 
Like, how do I know that I'm in right standing with God? And what does that look like? And listen, can I just tell you, it has nothing to do with some of the things we make it about. And even in our conversations, oftentimes we make salvation about us. And Paul says, that's not okay. Matter of fact, look what he says to the Jew. In Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 29, he's talking to this group of people who has struggled to judge the Gentile for their rebellious and squanderous way of living. And he goes, listen, you're going to be judged as well. And you need to understand that God is looking upon you as well. And he's concerned about you as well. And then he gets to Romans chapter 2, verse 17. He goes, and if you're talking about the Gentile, remember that if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and you boast in God, then there's something for you to consider. And what he's basically doing is he's about to make a case from verse 17 all the way really to 20 about what the Jew believes they are. And here's what you need to understand about this context of this message. The Jew, first and foremost, boasted a lot in their pedigree. Okay, they boasted in their pedigree. I'll put that for you up on the screen. So there it is. You can just write right beside verse 17, pedigree. Now, what does that mean? So a Jew believed that they were of the people of Israel. That's true. Now, the people of Israel got their establishment from Genesis chapter 12. God calls a guy named Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he goes, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great people. I'm going to give you a nation, which involves people, land, and blessing. I'm going to make you a fruitful place. And anybody that is a Jew is going to be my people. Now, you might even wonder, well, where in the world do we get the word Jew from? Because we know Israelis and there's Canaanites and you've got these different things. But where did the Jew come from? Well, the word Judah, which literally means praise, is where you get Jew from. They are the people of Judah. Uh, which is one of the tribes of the nation of Israel. And so Jew is the people of praise. And so these Jewish people, uh, what did they boast in? They boasted in the law and they boasted in God. They boasted in essence of their pedigree. Here's, here's what they thought. Because Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans and he was made the people of God. He's the leader of the nation of Israel. Because he's our father, we are automatically God's sons. And there were really a couple of things that established the people of, uh, of Israel as God's people. But in their mind, it gave them a shoe in to eternal things. So one is, yes, they're Abraham's children. They're descendants of Abraham. Um, second is they had land and people and blessing. But you know what really separated them were two distinct things. One of them was the law. So at Sinai, Moses was given the Ten Commandments and God etched in the stone by his finger the law. And he gave it to Moses and he goes, and this is going to guide your people. And Israel said, you know what? We've got the law and we've got the law of God and the law of God gives us the lock on God because we know the things that God wants and no other nation does. And that is true. Israel did get the law of God. And guess what? The Amorites didn't. The Hittites didn't. The Philistines didn't. But Israel got it. And so they go, look, we're God's people because we got God's law. But he goes a step further. Uh, God encouraged Abraham eventually uh, when he had a son named Isaac to circumcise him on the eighth day. And that was a Jewish tradition. On the eighth day, they would circumcise their, their children, which would take um, in their foreskin and they would cut it off and they would throw it out. And that cutting of the foreskin was a reminder that they were a set apart and a consecrated people. They were cut 
out of something different. And it was also a reminder that when that foreskin was cut, that the people of God, namely Israel or the Jew, could boast, not just because they had the law of God, but that they were God's people and that there was going to be a seed that would bless the nations. And what was that seed? The seed was the lineage of Abraham, the Davidic throne of David, and his name would be Jesus. It came from the seed of Mary. It was a promise that even from Genesis chapter 3, that the serpent would actually be um, tormented and, and, and hurled down because of the seed of Mary. And so God goes, listen, you are my people. And the Jew believed because I got God's law and because I'm circumcised that that makes me God's person. And they didn't care much about that other than if I'm a Jew, I'm a shoe in for the things of God. Do y'all understand that? That's what a Jew believed. And so they had, in some ways, a pedigree of God. They just said, we're unique. They got the temple, the Ark of the Covenant. They had prophets. They had priests. They had kings. They had everything. And God gave it all to them. And they said, and you can't take it away from us because we are God's people. But Paul goes on. He goes, okay. You, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law, which God gave. You boast in God. You, you say you are the people of Judah. And you also know his will, verse 18. And you approve of what is excellent because you were instructed from the law. He goes, you also boast in your position. So the pedigree is you're a Jew and that, that makes you a shoe in. But he goes, you don't just stop there. You also boast in your position that because you have the law, that that gives you an upper hand. And here's what you need to realize is the Jew believed that because they had the oracles and the decrees of God, that they were above everyone else on the planet. And listen, if you were to talk to a Jew, even today, which I had a college roommate as a freshman, uh, he, was, he was a Jew externally. And he, he had the idea that we are God's people. Now listen, he didn't practice one thing internally that he was supposed to. But he was God's people. He was set apart. And so he was confused about why I would desire a relationship with God and why I read my Bible. And I was confused about why he didn't. But he didn't have to. Why? Because he had the pedigree and he had the position. He saw as Jews that they were just distinct. They were different. They're God's people. After all, God gave us the law. You didn't get the law. He gave us the law. He didn't give you circumcision, although all you Gentiles have taken advantage of it over the years, but he gave us circumcision. That's us. They saw pedigree. They saw position. He goes on, though, and uh, look at verse 19. And he says, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and truth. He goes, he goes not only do you boast in, in your pedigree and your position, but now you're boasting in your precepts. Basically, he goes, because you have the law and because you are a Jew, he goes, you're boasting in your precepts. So when you think about boasting in your precepts, what is it? What does he mean? He goes, well, you're boasting in the fact that you believe that you have something that no one else has. And here's what he's saying. He goes, you are saying that you were a guide to the blind. So he goes, you'd say the blind cannot see, but you can. He goes, you would say that, that the blind walk around in darkness, but you would claim to walk in the light. He would say that you believe that everybody else in the world, Gentiles and everybody else is foolish, but he goes, you would say that you are wise. 
So the Jew is walking around and he goes, and he, they're basically boasting in their, in their life and with their chest out. They're saying, we're Jews. We have the law. We have circumcision. We know God's path. You don't. We are wise. You are foolish. We are strong. You are weak. We are the people of God and you are not. And they live their life walking around with clout and pride and they look down on every single other person. I don't know about you. Have y'all ever experienced anybody that seems to just walk around with clout and pride and a boastful spirit? You raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. If you didn't raise your hand, you might be that person, okay? (laughs) Um, And so that, I think, can be a challenge. So I love the theologian William Barclay. This is what he said about the Jew who boasts in their pedigree, in their position, and in uh, their precepts. This is what he says. He says, the Jew believed that everyone was destined for judgment except for himself. It would not be of any special goodness which kept him immune from the wrath of God, but simply the fact that he was a Jew. So the Jew walks around the planet going, oh, yep, God's not going to love you. God's not going to love you. And then he says, and God's going to love me, not because I'm holy or because I'm pure or because I do what's right, but because I'm simply a Jew. And that was the mindset that a Jew had because I'm a Jew, I'm a person of God, and you are not. And so Paul, who was a Jew, a Pharisee of the greatest rank, a Benjamite, one who knew the law in and out, he is actually writing to the church of Rome and he goes, you have a problem. And he goes, and here's why you have a problem is because you can't answer the following questions. And in verse 21, Paul asked a series of really good questions. Let's look at it in verse 21. He goes, you then who have what? God's word, his precepts, his the position, the pedigree. He goes, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? So basically he goes, hey, listen, you're the, you're the guide to the blind. He goes, you got blind people running over here to the wall. And he goes, but do you see your own blindness? You, you see your own corruption? Do you see the ways that you're missing the mark? He goes, why don't you wake up? He goes, you always condemn stealing, but he goes, do you steal? Do you ever steal from the Lord? And basically he's beginning pointing out a handful of things. He's going to point out um, possibly temple taxation. If you remember Jesus uh, flipping over the, the, the tables in the temple and he goes, hey, what are you doing you're a brood of vipers. You're a den of robbers. He goes, you're making my father's house a mockery. Why? Because they were taxating all of the sacrifices. You had lambs and they were taxing all the lambs. Any exchange rates that were happening for people that were coming into the city, they were making money on all of that. And he goes, you wouldn't call that theft? You wouldn't consider yourself a thief? He goes, I see how you're doing. He goes, what about the tithe? Do you always give God a tenth? Hey, do you, do, you, do you take some of your produce and do you kind of shave off some of it? He goes, do you pick and choose how much you're going to give God? God says, I want a tenth. He goes, do you give a tenth? Is that what you're doing? He goes, or do you steal too? And it was a Jewish practice, not among all the rabbis, but many of them, that they would be corrupt in what they gave God. And although it looked good externally, they were very corrupt. Let me ask you a question. Can you have corruption in any profession? Yeah, can you have corruption among pastors, priests? Can you have corruption among kings and governments? Yeah. Paul says, hey, listen, you claim to be a Jew, but he goes, are you stealing from God? He goes, I see it. 
And he basically is saying, if, and if I see it, guess who also sees it? God does. But he doesn't stop there. He goes, you say, verse 22, that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? So a Pharisee would say, hey, it's not right for a man to live with another woman who's not his woman. But he goes, but you happen to know the law. He goes, remember the law, the precepts of God that you know and that, that give guiding light to your life. He goes, hey, do you maybe, maybe take advantage of Deuteronomy 24 when it talks about that you could denounce a woman and then take another one? He goes, how oftentimes do you accuse your wife of something simply to get another wife? He goes, is that okay? He goes, how, how many times have you been married? Because there's a loophole in the system that if you want a divorce and you want it lawfully, one that would be a, accepted widely among the people, you make up an accusation against your wife. You demean her in the courts. They give you a certificate of divorce and you go get someone what? That you want. And he goes, you wouldn't call that adultery. You would call that a lawful divorce. But he goes, what is that? He goes, isn't that corrupt? He goes, so you would condemn everybody over here that's living in impurity, but what about you? Do you guys struggle with that? Do you commit adultery? He goes on in the latter part of verse 22. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? He's talking about temple taxation here. He goes, are there ways that you're using idolatry and, and other means to benefit you? He goes, I see it. Do you see what he's doing here? He is systematically taking the Jew and he is just saying, here's a problem I see, here's a problem I see, here's a problem I see. Look at verse 23. He goes, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So he goes, you boast in your God, you boast that you have the law. You would say, look at the stones we have. It's by the finger of God. But he goes, you don't keep them. He goes, you break those things for, it is, for as it is written. And then he quotes Isaiah, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now listen to me. I don't know if there is a more condemning sentence than the phrase that you see right there. He's what, here's what he's saying. He goes, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Zebizites, um, the Moabites, the Philistines, none of them can see me clearly because of you. The Gentile, they don't understand because you've made it cloudy. He goes, you would claim to have the law, but you don't keep the law. Let me just put it this way, in a way that you and I as Americans can understand. You call yourself a church member, but you do no membering. You don't contribute, you don't give, you rob God of what he gives that's, that's financially, that's um, serving the body, that's being in community. But there's a precedent in the American church. Isn't there? There's something about clout. There's something about boasting. There's something about having something for our obituary. They would say, I'm a member of such and such. But the reality is, is it's, it's like, but do you, do you do that? Are you a part of the body? Are you connected to the vine? Are, are you fruitfully abiding? Or that's, that's what Paul is saying to the Jew. He goes, I get, but he goes, you're, you're not making it very clear even for the Gentile. That, that would be like us saying that we love God and we're devoted to the things of God, but not making it very clear to our friends. Make sense? And so the people that we work with or live among or hang out with, if they see duplicity in our lives because we're making it really cloudy, then then that's something we got to pay attention to. That's the convicting part of this message. Now, listen, it's not just convicting for you. It's convicting for me too. 
But the reality is that's what Paul is saying to the Jew here. Y'all feel the weight of that? Listen, can I just help you understand? While he, while he makes it pretty clear, I, I want you to see the words of Jesus because I think he makes it more clear. Look at what Jesus says about the, the Jew, uh, the people of praise. Matthew 23, verses 23 through 28. You can read most of chapter 23, and it's fantastic uh, because it just systematically walks through what the Jew is in Jesus' eyes, the Savior of the world, the very Son of God who is God. Look what he says. He goes, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Basically, he's talking to the Jewish leaders. He's not just talking to somebody that is a Jew, he's talking to their leaders, the priest the ones in position and authority. This is what he says. Hypocrites. Everybody on three say hypocrites. One, two, three. Hypocrites. That's what he's saying. That's what he calls them. He doesn't go, hey guys, y'all come here, let's talk. He goes, hey, you scribes, you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Now look what he does. He addresses this stealing issue. He goes, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, that's what he says. Remember the people of light, the ones who should be able to see, the ones who guide everybody else? He goes, you're blind, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Here's what he means by that. He goes, isn't it crazy the things that you'll do? He goes, you can't tithe on all of the produce of your field, but you'll take a spice rack and you'll divide it up by a tenth. He goes, you'll lay out your cumin and you'll, you'll divide out your cumin. He goes, now what kind of precision does that take to divide cumin? Have you ever thought about giving a tenth of that to the Lord? And that was required. They would do that. But he goes, but, but he goes you forget other things like love and mercy and kindness. He goes, you're not generous. You're not... You're a blind guy. Then he goes, you'll strain out a gnat to swallow a camel. Now, what he's talking about is in order to eat kosher food and clean foods, he goes, you would wash your hands. But guess what? You would also make sure that a gnat didn't land in your hummus. Because after all, that wouldn't be clean to eat a gnat, right? So he goes, you'll strain out a gnat. But he goes, at the same time, he goes, you'll continually eat a camel. What he's saying is, he goes, you pay attention to the things that you think matter, the little things. But he goes, you're not paying attention to the big things that everybody else can see. He goes, you, you'll pay attention to the law and the things that you want others to see. But he goes, you continue to give legal divorces to one another that are not honoring to God. You continue to steal. You have terrible practice. And you continue not to show love and mercy and justice. Y'all see the picture? He goes, that's a challenge. He goes on, Jesus saying this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you and he says it again, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. He goes, isn't it foolish that when you get down to eat dinner, he goes, you make the outside of the cup look really good, but you never clean the inside of the cup. So you switch between hummus and rice, and you never clean it. He goes, that's foolishness, isn't it? But you'll keep the outside looking good. He goes on. He, he says, you're a whitewashed tomb. Look what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but are full of dead men's bones and all of in, uh, uh, uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What he's saying is, he goes, you have done a really good job at making everybody else see your morality. You have good-looking camels that you ride in. That would equate to your vehicles, right? 
hey, you have, you have nice little houses that you've added on to your father's house. And he goes, that's, that's, your, that's your pad. That's where you live. They look good. He goes, you got good looking women. And, and hey, here's the deal. When you get tired of one, you get another good looking one, but you're taking advantage of them. Hey, you, you, you look good on the outside, but he says, you are a whitewashed tomb. He goes, what people see is not what you are. Friends, can that ever happen in our lives? I mean, do you think that everybody that knew what happened in our homes would be as impressed as what they, they see on Facebook or social media accounts? Like, don't we oftentimes give a glimpse of who we are that's not reality? Hey, don't we oftentimes do that to convince ourselves of something that we know is actually not true? But the longer that we live in that lie, isn't it crazy that we can begin to kind of believe it ourselves? That was the Pharisee. That was the Jew. People of praise, the people of Judah, God is our God. We've got him on lockdown. We have law and we have circumcision. What else do we need? And Jesus goes, you're hypocrites. You're blind guides. You are people of death. And so he systematically, Paul takes away the law, but look at what he does in verse 25 of Romans 2. He says, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. So he starts with the law and he goes, hey, here's the righteous decrees that you're avoiding. He goes, now here's circumcision. And I want you to pay very close attention to this. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. Which remember circumcision happens at age eight. Because, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So the two things that guarantee a Jew um, relationship with God, one of them is God's law, his word, his decrees, his oracles, his commands. And the other one is they were circumcised. So if they had God's law and they were never circumcised, then they would go, no, we need to get circumcised. And if they had both, they had it in a lockdown. And God goes, no, it doesn't matter if you have God's law and you don't keep God's law. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're an infidel. But he goes, and also the tr it's true of this. If you have circumcision, but you break God's law, he goes, your circumcision is null and void. They partner together. He goes, it doesn't matter that you would look good externally because your external measures don't impress God. Let me put it in, a, in, in layman's terms. If you go to the altar and you put on a wedding ring, but on the night of your marriage, you're out with another woman, there's no point in having a wedding ring. Right? And that's what he's saying to the Jew. I don't care that you have circumcision because circumcision doesn't change your heart. If your heart is corrupt, your heart is corrupt. Which is then why now Paul takes a really big jab and I want you to see it in verse 26. He goes, so if a man who is uncircumcised, now he's talking about a Gentile. If, if he keeps the precepts of law, which he didn't have, right? Because he didn't get law. Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? That right there was a dagger. Like that was tough right there. Let me equate it this way, the way you can understand. Um, so this is fall, and I don't know about you, but one of the things I love about fall is this thing called football. Anybody else love football? Woo! Yeah, okay, I love football. Um, and so let me just help you understand, though, something real quickly. Um, football, for me, um, now means enjoying it by watching it. Um, but back in the day, 20 years ago, um, I can remember being in fall camp, and I can be in college, and I can remember... Um, a college head coach um, literally grabbed me by the helmet um, and, and demeaned me. I mean, say things to me that I'm like, would make me want to cry and go back to my mama. Um, and, 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 and then he would yell at me. And, and you know what my response was? Yes, sir. And then I'd go about my business. I'd get it corrected and I'd do my thing, 
right? Because that's what it, I knew my coach, even though I didn't know him well, and even though he spoke to me in a way that I didn't really care for, he was just, he was correcting me. He was trying to get me to be better and to be a part of our team, right? And so we have coaches in our life. Well, Paul is, is basically, he is, he is now sharing it to them. And he's saying, listen, this is an issue. And, and he grabs the, Ro, uh, the Roman Jew by the face mask and he goes, you need to get this corrected. And it would have been a sting. It would have been hard to hear. But he goes, here's the deal. If you were a Gentile and, and you have not been circumcised, and he goes, but you keep the law, then you were as good as a Jew who has been circumcised. And he's basically telling the Jew as he grabs him by the face mask, hey, you have a problem. And then look what he says, verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Here's what he says to the Jew. There is no difference between you who have the law and don't keep the law than the person who has no law and does a better job keeping the law. In essence, here's the dagger. Listen, lean in with me. He goes, you need to know, Pharisee, there is no difference than you and the Philistine giant named Goliath who you abhor. You hated him. He wasn't circumcised. David took him down in the valley. You celebrated. But there is no difference between you because you have God's law and don't keep it than the Philistine who does not have God, God's law and does try to keep it. He goes, you are no different than your worst enemy, Goliath. He goes, that's how God sees you. That's a dagger. That's hard to hear. Which is why the Jews, um, namely, didn't care for Jesus and didn't care for Paul. So they killed Jesus and what do they do? They kill Paul. Why? Because they didn't like what he had to say. And that's why Paul then closes this chapter with 28 and 29. Look what he says. For, there, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. He goes, it doesn't exist. You cannot be a Jew simply because by name. Just as you can't claim to have salvation because you're a pastor's kid. Just because you, you can't claim to have a lockdown on heaven just because you've been baptized. He goes, there is no such thing as a Jew who is merely an outward one, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And then he spells it out for him. And circumcision is a matter of the what? Heart. Which is why Jesus died for us, is to change the heart by the Spirit. And then he says, not by the letter. And when he says the letter, it's not by the law. You're condemned to the law. The law shows you that you fall short. So he says, his praise is not from man, but from God. He goes, it doesn't matter if you impress men. It doesn't matter what they think about you on social media accounts. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter what you say. God knows your heart and he knows your motives and he knows your intentions. And you can impress man all day long, but God doesn't care because he judges with no partiality. He causes sin, sin. And he judges it judiciously and fairly and accurately. He divides the joint and the marrow and he will cut out everything that doesn't honor him. Which is why Paul writes to the church of Colossae and this is what he says in Colossians 2, 11 through 12. Look what he says. In him, meaning Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made, and then look what it says, key word there, without hands. 
by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith and the power working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying to the church of Colossae, it doesn't matter what anyone has done. It matters that God stretched in to your heart by his grace and he cut out your sin problem and he covered it through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is the circumcision of the heart, not done with human hands. It's not about what you know in God's word. It's not about the knowledge you have. It's not about a foreskin being cut off an eight-year-old. It is about a transformed heart, which leads to, friends, a transformed life. And a transformed life is then now walking in fruitfulness and abundance within the local church, being fully devoted to Christ and his purposes for his glory and our good, even though it's hard. Y'all remember the coach that I was telling you about who grabbed me by the face mask, demeaned me, yelled at me, made me want to go home and cry to my mama? Do you know what? I never thought anything about it. I thought that's what a coach does. A coach encourages, a coach inspires, a coach oftentimes yells. Do y'all understand that I come from a coaching background, which is why I'm oftentimes so passionate? Y'all understand that? Like, why are you yelling? Because I'm like, I'm excited. I want you to move. I'm not content with just being okay. God has more for us. That's why I am the way I am. I come from that. But can I help you understand something as I close? Paul calls out brothers and sisters in the faith from a distance. And can I just tell you that's what's lacking in the Christian church today? When somebody faithfully admonishes you in the Lord, do you know how oftentimes right now we leave churches? Somebody calls out. They finally call out a blind spot. They actually point out something you can't see. And you run. You run for the hills. You hide. You blame. You make excuses. You get backed in the corner and you want to back, just bite like a snake, don't you? Could you imagine if you really got to the place that you were living faithfully with God's people to a point that they could actually tell you the truth about yourself? That they could actually say, I love you so much, but here's what I see. That's what community is. And can I just tell you that when you experience it and you really do finally get to a point where you give permission for people to question some of your, your thinking or the way you respond to things, that that's fruitful. That's what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter two. He goes, you're calling yourself a Jew. But he goes, it does not add up. You're a hypocrite. Friends, what if you let somebody tell you that? Like, hey, here's the things you say, but it doesn't add up. Are you ready for that? Because that's what the local church is about. Listen, I'm going to say this, and then we're going to close. There's very few local churches that are going to be committed to your growth and your sanctification and hard conversations with you. Most of them want you to put up, pay up, and shut up. That's not here. I want full devotion. Not because for me, because you're not impressing me. I can't impress you. I hope you're not impressed by me. 
the more you get to know me, the less impressed you'll be. I promise. <laughs> get close to me, you'll want to run for the hills. That's just true. That's true of all of us, isn't it? But that's not what God's calling the church to be. It is a beautiful, spotless, blameless bride, not because of you and I, but because of Christ Jesus. There's a lot of us in this room, including me, who have character issues that have to be pointed out and refined. And just as Paul calls out the Roman, who is it that's calling you out? Why are you avoiding it? Why? Why? What are you scared of? That's what the church should be. Maybe you've never experienced it. I have. I've been blessed to experience that. And uh, I pray that you will too. Um, I pray that's an encouragement to you. Um, I pray that you know there's something about a coach grabbing you by the face, face mask or, or better yet, while you're on the court and you're kind of being slothful, getting your way down, they're, they're chewing you out. Um, I pray that you would see that as a blessing, not as a curse. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be passionate about the things of God, passionate about pursuing your word, passionate about being your people. I pray that, Lord, that if there be any measure of duplicity in us, that if we are blind guides, we tell other people what we think that should happen, but we don't do it ourselves. Lord, I pray you would remove that from us. I pray that as we judge others, that you would remove the plank from our own eyes. I pray that you would um, help us to see it clearly. I pray that you would help us to not be people who merely are a part of the local church simply to kind of be there occasionally, but I pray you would help us to be all in. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the likes of a Paul who gave his entire life for you. And even though he was killed for the purposes of God, and the glory of God in his life, Lord, I pray that he would continue to say what needs to be said. And I pray we would be like him. I pray we would say the things that no one else would say. And I pray that we would shout them from the rooftops so that other people may have life and have it to the full. Lord, would you make us your people? Would you help us to honor you with our lives? And may our lives be a legacy of faith for you. Lord, we need your help. And I pray that it would be about you and not us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.